to fail, then you want to see, like, if I do this, that's, that like, makes terrible. It... that's like terrible for the network ah. because uh, on the network and how much. Oh, now we're here. Well, I just messed up the network doing that. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like the doctor who said the, the old joke about you go to the doctor and say, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor says, well, then don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh the advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant like solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning. It's a Good fabulous morning. morning, Tuesday, and we're here with Dr. Temple Grandin, and we've already had technical difficulties. I am told that we are live right now on YouTube, but that we have not been able to go live on Facebook. So I'm asking everyone who's watching us on YouTube to go to your Facebook and tell people to come and watch us on YouTube, because we're here with Dr. Temple Grandin, and I don't know, the internet is broken. Uh, but we're still here, and Dr. Grandin is ready to answer your questions, and so you can be sending them into us on YouTube right now. We will get this reposted on Facebook later on today, but I don't know. Facebook is not my friend today or the internet is not my friend. I'm not sure which one, but I'll tell you who I do count as a friend is Dr. Temple Grandin. Um, she's one of my favorite people on this planet and she is a celebrated author and a teacher and an advocate. And right before we went live, we were talking about how books, eBooks, and hardcover books and how it might be a little bit difficult to get books, but we want you to know well, that it is easy to get, excuse me, I just did something that might make the network. <laughs> ebooks, we were talking ebooks aren't where the problem is. Ebooks work fine. Amazon's got plenty of ebooks. That's where but it's, it's the hardcover that hard people cover might think is hard. Paper. It's the physical books where there's a problem. But it's like the internet's gotten overloaded. All the warehouse distribution supply chains are also completely overloaded. But there are a couple of places where they can go to get your hardcover books and they won't have a big delay uh, and there won't be a big wait. For instance, they can go to Future Horizons right. um, to their website and they can order all of your books from right there. Yeah, so all my, all, my paper, all my physical books are available there. And, and then I have some textbooks and one of my textbooks publishers is going to be um, setting up a website to distribute directly for physical books. There you go. So don't, don't despair. Don't despair. Don't do without books, but find different places to order them if they're being held up for you. So Temple, we're so thrilled to have you twice in the month of April. Uh, the last time we talked to you was April 2nd, World Autism Awareness Day. We just want to do it first because we got tons of questions that have already come in. Okay. But, um, but first, just want to check in with you. How are you doing in this period of isolation? Well, I'm working right now on updating my Improving Animal Welfare, a practical approach book. I have a number of guest authors, and that's a textbook, uh, which makes it a little pricey since it is a textbook. And most of my guest authors are getting things done. 
actually I've had plenty of time to work on it. And might be doing an even better job of updating it. I've been looking up on all kinds of articles to add to it right here. I've been, this is stuff I just looked up this morning. I print out. I always love to know what you're researching because the last time we had talked to you, you were researching protein symmetry and it was some beautiful artwork. Uh, as you said, art in your body, what were you researching this morning or is it secret? It's not a secret. I was simply looking up problems with all the dairy cows and uh, that the, sometimes they get into very bad condition. And I was trying to just get some updated data on that. Because very cool. Older, the second edition came out in 2015 and for the new uh, 20 or 21 edition, I want to try to have the newer references. Um, it's not changing a great deal. It's just uh, updating it. So I was just looking up new information on bruises and survey that my student did a cow-calf producers on management practices. Very cool. That. I was telling you earlier that the first time I met you, uh, the first time I interviewed you, uh, we brought uh, one of the people on our crew brought cows, plastic yeah, cows, yeah. and you signed this one for me. Okay. You actually signed a couple of them and Autism Live gave some away to some really incredible people. I don't know if you know, that's how we ended up going to NASA together. Yes. You signed a cow for me and I gave it to one of the flight directors at NASA and he was like, is this what I think it is? Is this a cow signed by Temple Grandin? And I said, yeah. And he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've met her. And I said, she would love to come here. And he, uh, why haven't you invited her? And that's how that whole thing happened. Uh, we went to NASA together and toured. It was it was Temple, my small crew, and what was it, like five astronauts that yeah, were following that around? Really, all really, that was like a super, super fun trip. It was a great day. I have the video from it. And at some point, we have to make a, a short film about that, about you going to NASA, because it's some pretty fabulous video. Uh, but okay, that's uh, that's neither here nor there. Let's uh, let's get into some questions, shall we? Because we have a lot of people right. voting. I have I have I just want to tell everybody um, I have pages of questions that people wrote in. Can you see multiple pages? Plus, which we're taking questions right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Periscope, and on Twitter. So, if you are on one of those mediums and it seems that I am ignoring your question, please know that we're we're buried in questions. But keep them keep them coming in. Okay, first question. I really want to know how Dr. Grannon started eating any kind of food. Did she work on sensory issues? Did she just decide to start trying different foods? My son is 11 years old. And since he was two years, became very selective. He says that he will eat once. Um, he went, oh, he says he will eat once he went to secondary school, but he changes his mind and keep telling me that when he turns 20, he will eat then. Uh, he is a healthy boy, but really worries me that he doesn't want to eat like everybody else. So how did you, because you were selective for a while. Well, actually, I was good eater. Uh, uh, the re reason why I was eating the yogurt and jello in the movie is when I got in my 20s, I had terrible problems with anxiety, terrible colitis attacks. Mm -hmm. And then when I went on antidepressant medication, real low doses of it, um, that's the colitis attacks actually stopped because my nervous system wasn't in such a state of stress. But there were times where the colitis attacks were so bad that everything went through me. And that's why I ate yogurt and jello. And then I would gradually wean off of that. And I actually hated yogurt. I had one doctor wanted me to drink buttermilk. That's like liquid vomit. I had to chug that stuff down. And, like and uh, uh, then I would wean back gradually onto regular foods some saltine crackers. And then I'll go and do a talk in there in the green rooms, a whole bunch of little jello things. And I just hate jello. <laughs> it was like... Uh, it was something I had to do because of colitis, 
but let's just talk about kids that are picky eaters. One mm-hmm. way to help to get them into it is into eat trying new things is let them get involved with food preparation where they can play with the food out in the kitchen. We don't play with food at the dining room table. Want to have manners there, but in the kitchen we can play with food and explore it. Sometimes that's helpful. And one of my big concerns of a kid just eats just two really restricted things is the old vitamin deficiency diseases. I was just looking at one of my autism newsletters and there was some kids that got scurvy. That's vitamin C deficiency because of being on a very, very restricted diet and they weren't taking any, um, any vitamins. I no let, get a food, food preparation, just get them involved in that. And they get to play with it and then they might want to taste it. And that's a simple yes. thing to do. Food is a very sensory experience. I love that idea. Uh, another question. Good morning, Dr. Grandin. I have a 10 year old son diagnosed at five years old, went from verbal to nonverbal. We started ABA therapy at five years and he has a lot of words now dominated by a strong mouth stimulation, echoing, scripting almost 95% of the day. Because of his scripting behavior, the school hold him at ASD one. He knows uh, his alphabet, his numbers, some sight words, he can read short phrases, well potty trained since two years, very independent. I'm trying all I know. Please help me. Any strategies that can help us decrease the echoing? Well, there's three ways, basically, the brain's being messed up on speech. When I was a little kid, the grown-ups talked fast. I thought grown-ups had a foreign language. That was grown-up talk. And I have some auditory problem, auditory processing. And one thing my speech teacher did with me, she'd hold up a cup or maybe she'd hold up a pen and she'd say pen. And then she'd say pen, where she'd enunciate it and she'd switch back and forth. And then I had problems with getting speech out. I personally was never echolalic, you know, where I might recite a movie script out. But there um, um, been some success with echolalic kids. If you can take the movie script that they don't know what it means. They yak out a movie script. Why a movie script? Because when they watch that on the television, it's always said the same way. Like if I said, dog, that's a Harvard accent, dog, that's some other accent. See, it sounds like a different word, but that TV always says it exactly the same way. So that's why the script, a commercial or a movie that they can play over and over again. But sometimes you can work uh, some of the words from that movie into the real world. They'll start to learn that language is real. Also, a lot of kids have a lot of sensory issues. And kids that don't get functional language often live in a sensory disordered world. Now, there's two books I'd really recommend that people read where they have a kid that remains not, that does not get really good functional language. And one is Tito Makapadehe, How Can I Talk If My Lips Don't Move? It's available online as an ebook. Okay, ebook distribution is no problem. You can get ebooks, audiobooks. That's that's uh, that's just fine. It's physical books where there's problems. But this book, uh, Tito Makapadehe, he has a lot of movements he can't control. Looks really severe, but he's basically got a locked-in syndrome. There's a good brain in there, and he can type independently. I have seen him, and and he talks about a sensory disordered world. His mom always took him out there, but. You read that book, you're really going to get some insight into what maybe a, a, your child might be experiencing. And I want to use the word might. Another really good book is the sequel to The Reason I Jump. I can never remember the exact title because it's something like fall down five times, get up nine times. But it's the sequel. 
And he describes things like not being able to control his movements. That he was sort of like a broken robot. And uh, uh, these books will give you insight, these people that type completely independently, the sequel to The Reason I Jump. And that's all, all of this, they are available in electronic. And then of course, I always like to promote my own book, uh, The Way I See It, which has just come out in, in a new edition, uh, available electronically from Amazon, physical book from uh, Future Horizons. Wonderful. So the, the sequel is Fall Down uh, Seven Times, Get Up Eight. I always okay. re- I can remember the 78, but I want to know how long did it take you before you could say Tito, I can't even pronounce his last name. How long did it take you to learn that temple? Well, that took a little while. And don't <laughs> ask me how to spell it. Okay. And we won't hold you his book is How Can I Talk If My Lips Don't Move? But if you're working with, I'm not talking about three-year-olds here. I don't recommend these books for people with three-year-olds. But you got an older kid not doesn't have functional language. I think these books are must-reads because they're going to okay. give you tremendous insight into what's going on. Wonderful. Uh, somebody wants to know, my 13-year-old son son seems to avoid speaking about autism-related conversations. At one point, I felt he was depressed. Suggestions? Well, the thing is, I, I things interesting on, on how you view autism. You go out to Silicon Valley, to big tech companies that bring you the technology we're using, uh, and uh, they avoid the label. They don't want to be labeled um, you know with a disability and then I see other kids where autism becomes their entire identity I don't think that's good either maybe something more in the middle might be better for me autism is an important part of who I am but being a scientist and a problem solver right now I work on a lot of different things trying to solve problems that's um uh, that comes first for me um you know I think I just heard a real, I just talked to a really interesting person. I have to keep some confidentiality. Um, this is a person who works for a major important technological stuff. Um, had an IQ off the charts in everything, never got labeled with autism, but then she found, well, she had a high IQ. Uh, she said, well, I could go places. Well, she was waiting on tables one day mm-hmm. and she waited on two people that opened up to the door into a fabulous, technological career. I have to keep confidentiality. But she recognized, uh, and then when the guys talked to her, recognized her intelligence, and she was invited right in, that's back door. And the thing is, she recognized that back door. But her label was high IQ. It was the only label that she had. She's a person, uh, 50s, you know, a bit Mm -hmm. of an older person. Um, But uh, you see, I did the same thing in my career. There's a scene in the HBO movie where I go up and I get the uh, editor's card because I realized if I wrote for that magazine, that would really help my career. And she recognized the door and she went through it and she was waiting on tables. Sometimes you just don't know who you're waiting on. See, half of all good jobs are gotten through the back door anyway. All good jobs. I believe that too. Um, uh, so, okay, somebody wants to know, glad to see you ladies. Uh, what are the signs that a kid will reach a high functioning level? My son is six years old. He is functionally verbal and has a moderate level of autism. He has been receiving ABA for three years now. I can't, I can't answer specifically, but let's just look at, um, uh, six years old. Okay. I'll ask you about the speech. Uh, can he ask questions? Can he request things? Can he read? 
Uh, I was eight years old and I couldn't read. And mother taught me with phonics. And I went very quickly from the third grade level up to the sixth grade level of reading. But let's just look at the skills. The thing is, a person with autism or a child with autism, they, they blossom. I've had parents say, well, I got my kid out doing all these things, got my kid out on a boat, never thought he'd get on a boat. And they get out and do things. You just don't know. But there's a tendency to overprotect. What yeah. you want to do is stretch and say, well, would you want to go on a boat or would you want to go for a hike? You know, give them a choice, but get them out there doing things. And they can sometimes really uh, blossom. They can do a lot more than what you think. And, Absolutely. and I'm, I'm a visual thinker, so I don't really relate to terms like level one or moderate. I'm going to go, okay, let's just look at the skills. Dress, shower, let's start with the basics. Potty, uh, uh, okay, should be learning some reading skills, writing skills, maybe he has motor issues. Well, then he can type. There's a reason why keyboards were invented. Uh, you know, what can he, what can he do? It, it's uh, when kids are really little, you just can't tell. I, I want horrible. I looked horrible when I was a real little kid, just horrible. I, I want to bring up, since you brought up your mother, that um, your mom, um, Eustacia Cutler, is going to be with us on Friday. Good. Um, and she's going to be answering questions and she's going to uh, speak a little bit about a bunch of things. And so um, she's asked that people send their questions in early um, and that she wants to answer questions on a general nature. We're working out a way that she can meet with people to answer questions individually. She prefers to do it that way. So we're asking for you to send your questions in for Eustacia. Um, you can do that um, as soon as the show is over, because later on today, I'm going to go over some of the questions with her. But we're really excited to have your mom on on Friday. Oh, Temple. good. That's just great. But I'm yeah. going to be, you know, like, the, it's hard. first of all, I don't have enough information to answer things absolutely specifically. Um, but there's a tendency, and I can understand why Silicon Valley avoids the labels, uh, to become the label. Like this lady, I just talked to her. Um she had when high IQ, she started talking to these tech guys. Next thing they're taking her over to the workplace and they're hiring her. Yeah. Yes. Because I mean, I'm pretty sure she's on the autism spectrum. Pretty there we go. Sure. Justin talking to her and the, uh, I'm pretty sure she's autistic. I, I can't say for sure, but. Right. I love um, uh, Howie Mandel. He has a phrase. He says, you know, let's stop talking about what somebody can't do. Let's look at what they can do. He says, let's not talk about disability. Let's talk about this ability. Well, this is what so Stephen Hawking has to say. Y'all know who Stephen Hawking is. Yes. Concentrate on the things. Your disability does not prevent you from doing well. There we go. I love it. I really like uh, that. I like that too. Uh, I also like different, but equal. And we know who started that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be you. Yeah. Uh, wonderful friend. Okay. Next question. Someone told me that fine motor is also connected to oral motor. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, they say that their son is having trouble lifting his tongue. Well, you need to go to a, a specialist on that. I you know occupational therapist, physical therapist that you definitely need to see a specialist. I am not qualified to have you ever heard of the fine motor though being connected to the oral motor? I've never heard that before. Well, I would definitely go to specialist now. I, I have my other favorite thing I do and that's reading scientific papers. Then I, you know, I might end up going deep into the literature, but I, I recommend you get professional advice on that. M says, this is interesting. I'm autistic and you talk about it well. Michelle wants to say hi to you. Oh, thank uh, you. 
Devin says, I'm also autistic with Asperger's syndrome. When I was in hospital, my mother said that I have Asperger's to the nurses and they did not know a bit about it, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, okay. Um, next question. My son is four and so it's so hard to get him to focus on anything besides his routine play. Any suggestions at all for a four-year-old who always wants to play the same thing, Temple? Well, when I was um, maybe five or so, or six years old, I would just draw the same horse head over again. And mother would suggest, well, let's draw the rest of the horse's body. Now, I need to, before I can actually give you any specific advice, I need to know what he does over and over again. Because what you want to try to do is take whatever he does. Let's say it's lining up blocks. Let's just say it's that. Well, then let's turn it into a turn-taking game where we're going to take turns lining up the block. I do a block, you do a block. Let's just start out something very simple like that to try to broaden it into a turn-taking game. And when I was that age, there was a lot of emphasis on turn-taking games done with board games, a little bit older card games. You've got to learn the way you turn. Okay, let's say he's spinning a wheel on a toy car. Well, then we're going to share the car and take turns with it and then hand the car back and forth. We'll take turns spinning the wheel. Then I want to broaden it out into driving the car around and we're going to go to different places in the living room, like the bookcase or the chair leg, just something like that. Um, just very simple things like that, broaden it. Wonderful. Uh, this is a tough one. My 10-year-old nonverbal grandson started hitting himself very hard in his face, leaving bruises, hiding under a blanket, even when going out and being very disconnected. Doctor said it's puberty. What's your thought? It's heartbreaking. Well, you better get your professional advice on that. Um, the other thing you've got to look at is exactly when did the behavior start? Okay, this is a basic principle in animal behavior. I don't care whether it's dog behavior, horse behavior. You've got some kind of a problem. People tend to overgeneralize. I want to know exactly when that started. Puberty comes on somewhat gradually. Um, maybe there was a, a, a traumatic event, something like that, a death in the family. I don't know. But I've got That's to figure ten. out what the behavior is might be related to something. Now there's some kids that hit themselves and I've read um, uh, first person accounts about this and they don't even realize they're doing it in some cases. Uh, sometimes occupational therapy, uh, you know, sensory stuff can help on this, but there's a big mistake in animal behavior and the human behavior to overgeneralize. And people say, oh, my horse just goes berserk. Well, after questioning the person, I found out there was one specific place where a horse went berserk. And when he was tied up in the cross ties, because he'd had an accident in the cross ties. So then we stopped using cross ties. So I'm going to ask you, where, when does this behavior occur? Yeah. Um, it, it isn't as some, it, something, yeah, and you're going to have to, you need to get, do something about this. This is serious. I think, Temple, a lot of, uh, in the early years when our kids are diagnosed, a lot of the stuff we hear is that people will say, well, autism, you know, it just, it's a lot of, you know, they do a lot of random, strange behavior, but I know I certainly learned over the years, there's nothing random. Not random. It's not random. But there's a reason for everything. Well, what I did, I can remember, um, I was allowed to do an hour after lunch of spinning a brass plate that covered up a bolt on the, on the bed frame. And, and when I did these repetitive things, it was calming. That's why the kid does it. But the problem is, if you let a kid do it all day, nothing's going to go into his head. It's okay to do a little bit of stimming to calm down. That's okay. But there you go. doing it all day is not okay. 
because you shut off the brain. I remember doing it. I remember winding up the swings, letting them twirl. It was almost like taking a drug. And so a little bit of uh, just non-hurtful repetitive behavior, like spinning something is fine. But then you want to, she'd get me out and we were expected to sit down and have meals together, do games where we take turns, um, you know, have table manners. If I put my finger in my drink, mother would say, use the spoon to stir it. You know, just uh, but, manners stuff. What was it that you loved about spinning the plate? What was it that was that made you feel better? I loved watching it because when I spun something, I'd spin it with different amounts of force. And then I could watch, well, how long would it spin? How would it wobble as it stopped spinning? And tiny little details of how it behaved. When Which I is really it. being scientific. Yeah, it, it, I can remember dribbling sand through my hands and I would just study each little grain, like looking at it under a microscope. And um, one thing I loved to doing as a child was doing sand castles where you dribble sand through your hands. I really liked doing that. And it's okay to do some of that stuff. But the problem is if a kid does it all day, yeah, not gonna learn anything else, like playing video games all the day. Yeah, you might get really good at playing video games, but you're not gonna learn anything else. Do you still do anything like the spinning the plate or like the sand through your fingers? That's part well, of your daily. I do, a, I do a lot of doodling on, on papers. I'll do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I've got like uh, 25 binder clips in a chain that I'll sometimes manipulate when I'm on the phone. Love it. They're, Love they're, it. Up in the, they're in my upstairs office. So Temple, we have a very special guest who's going to be on the show on Thursday. He is a young man who is a, he's on the autism spectrum. He's an actor and he's a professional actor. He's 17 years old. He okay. was first on Speechless. Then he played an autistic young boy on The Good Doctor. Good. And now he has a great role on the hit Netflix show Lock and Key. Okay. And he plays an autistic young man on that. He's going to be joining us on Thursday. His name is Good. Kobe Bird. He's a big fan of yours. Oh, well, great. And, um, and so I was talking to, to him and his mom last night. They want to know, do you still utilize something like your cow squisher? No, that broke about 10 years ago and I never got around to um, uh, fixing it. So then I started hugging real people. And now we're not allowed to do that now with um, social distancing. So was the real people giving you the same thing that the cow squisher was giving you? Well, I didn't need as much from the, the cow squisher. Now, one thing that I still have got to do is I got to do a burst of intense exercise every day. And if I don't do it, even taking a low dose of antidepressants, if you want to read about that, that's in my book, Thinking in Pictures. And it's available in ebook, easy to get ebook. Um, and if I, the medication alone, doesn't do it, but a burst of hard exercise. I used to do a um, th- uh, hundred sit-ups on the bed and then my sciatic nerve was hurting me. So now I'm doing modified push-ups. I do, do I like exercising? No, I hate it. And, and, but to get up to hundred sit-ups, that took a long time to work up to that. I want to emphasize that. I started out doing like three. <laughs> that was six months to work up to that. Wow. And I'm impressed. But if I don't do that burst of hard exercise, then I have trouble with sleeping. And I found that I'd added up like how much airport walking I did. That just doesn't seem to do the same things as the burst of hard exercise. 
I, I've been listening. You said that when you were with us on the 2nd of April, and I've been trying to add a burst of uh, heart exercise, and I find that I, it's helping me too, Temple. So well, you've inspired good. me. Work up to it slowly. I don't want anybody having yes. a heart attack here. No, so no, I want no, to no. emphasize working up, slow. working up slowly, but there's something, and I think there's starting to be some scientific evidence about a burst of heart exercise where a slow walk, I have to get myself breathing hard a bit. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Somebody's written in and said, I am autistic, but diagnosed as an adult. I am 30 now, was diagnosed two years ago. I know that whenever, uh, that whenever I was a child, I was reading before my fourth birthday, but did not speak until I was six. When I did finally speak, I was speaking on the same fluency as my peers. And I believe that the reason I was able to speak so well was because my immediate family still spoke to me and would have conversation with me as if, as if I was able to use my voice. What do you think about that, Temple? Should, well, I think that's should... important. I think that's important. I, I, one of the things that, you know, Soma did with Tito, in How Can I Talk with Soma, she took them everywhere. Yeah. Well, they were from India, so they go on the outdoor markets and railroad station and all kinds of places like that, noise and stuff. She took them everywhere. And, and uh, you know, we got to get these kids out doing things. Now, what do you do about the sound sensitivity? Well, I think I may have talked about that before. Give the kid control. Let the kid turn that dreaded hairdryer on and off. And then he's going to find it fun to blow things around the house with it when he can control it. Okay. Um, I, we, we're getting a couple of questions for your mom, which is really great. But I, I would sort of love to know your opinion on this. They're asking, they're, they want to ask your mom, how do you teach hygiene? Um, they have a daughter who's 18, high functioning autism, has to be reminded about deodorant. It bothers me that she's not mindful about daily care. Now, clearly your mom taught you manners and she, you know, she, cause you are a professional and, you know, hygiene is a very big deal. You, I've heard you lecture about people presenting themselves cleanly and getting their hair taken care of. What, what do you think t- made that important to you? Was it something that your mom did or was it something just oh, in you? something that a guy in the construction industry did. You know, there's mm-hmm. the scene in the movie where the boss slams down the deodorant. And they actually oh, took two bosses in the movie and combined them. It was actually a construction boss that did that. And I wanted the job. And he basically told me I had to clean it up. It was that simple. And I wanted the job. And... That's something, now back in the 70s, they had these gunky, awful roll-ons. You know, now the the solid sticks, you don't even feel them. There's no excuse for not using solid stick. Um, And I get the unscented type. Uh, No, you have to clean it up. It's just that simple. Do you think it's better coming from somebody other than mom? Or do you think it could be from anybody? Well, the thing that made the big difference on me, it was... um, was uh, this was a job I really wanted. And, uh, and they, they, he slammed down the deodorant just like it was shown in the movie and said, you stink, use it. Exactly what he did. I showed Mick Jackson, the director, exactly how to slam it down. And I realized I had to clean it up. Yeah. No, it doesn't mean that you have to become a different person. I still dress eccentric, but you just can't be a rude, filthy slob. Do you consider the way you dress eccentric? Well, it's a little different. But um, it's important to, um, to you know, look look presentable, and and uh, you know, dirty, filthy T-shirt. Uh, it's not okay. 
it, it you well, wear a t-shirt but it needs to be a clean one and I seem to recall that there's a story about when you went to go to the Emmys. Was there discussion about what you were going to wear about that? Am I crazy? No, no. I wore actually. I wore a shirt that was a gift from my sisters. A Ralph. I, my top was Ralph Lauren. Um, my bottom was Walmart. I <laughs> black Walmart. One of the reasons why I wear Walmart dress pants is because they don't itch. I I got to have pants that don't itch. And they make really nice dress pants and not very expensive, but I thought that was kind of funny to have um, Ralph Lauren on my top and Walmart on the bottom. <laughs> was it, But was there somebody who was pressuring you to like wear a ball gown or? No, or... no it wasn't. I wouldn't oh, wear a ball gown. No, no. No, I mean, it's, in this day and age, I think everybody is allowed to dress how they want to dress. I, no, I, but I was you know. dressed up on, on, that actually was a Ralph Lauren shirt that my sister gave me. And that's the reason why I wore it. You looked great. You looked great. And when, when Claire won and you stood up, I think we all cried. We all were just like beside ourselves. And then I grabbed the mic and I said, mom, I know you're nervous. Stand up. And then the boom camera came over and took a picture of her. She stood up. It just, there was an amazing moment. I'm sure it was an amazing moment for you guys, but it was an amazing moment for all of us temple to see you um, in that way was just, it was like, it was, like winning the Olympics for all of no, us. It was absolutely know. wonderful. And uh, one thing with that movie, they got the right team together. And Emily Gerson Sains, she needs, she's the one to put that whole project together. And what I learned, you know, you get um, the right people doing stuff. Um, things come out good. The stuff that's the most accurate stuff in the movie is the visual thinking is shown absolutely <laughs> accurately. The projects are accurate. Some of my stuff in my early doctor scene and mother hates that doctor scene is not accurate. She actually went to a neurologist and I was recommended to get speech therapy, but what the doctor scene was typical fifties. Right. But the work right. stuff in the movie is probably the most accurate stuff. Um, and I like the fact it shows visual thinking accurately so people can understand visual thinking. Uh, you know, I think it's the first time that most people got it, that they were like, oh. And I think a lot of us went, oh, I completely understand that because my brain does that to a degree. Yeah. Like those of I'm visual too. And I was like, Oh, well, my brain does that. It just does. It just does it in a slightly different way, but I think visually too. Um, and, and it made a certain amount of sense for all of us. It just, it was, it was a gift to the world. Well, and I think did as much. See Mac Mick Jackson, the director was a visual thinker, but I, cause I have another big concern in education is with all the algebra requirements, we're screening out visual thinkers. We got a gigantic, shortage of high-end skilled trades today. These are essential. These jobs are never going to go away. Uh, somebody's got to fix the heating and air conditioning, uh, do plumbing, electrical, fix cars, uh, build things with steel. That stuff's yeah. not going to go away. Okay, we got another question. My daughter is 11 and just diagnosed. It took a long time for professionals to believe us. Why do girls get diagnosed later? Well, I was just reading on the autism uh, magazines about this. Well, girls tend to be more flexible in their thinking and they just don't show it. And one of the problems with girls with autism is getting into abusive relationships. That can sometimes be a big problem. Yeah. Uh, Any advice for how a parent might deal with that? Well, uh, you know, one of the, I have a book, I was, sorry, I'm a shameless book promoter, but I did a book. No, please. We love your books. I did a book with Sean Barron. 
Um, and he and I kind of have two different kind of takes on some of the dating stuff. And uh, it's called the unwritten social rules from future horizons. And, and one of the little rules they've got in there is not everybody that acts like your friend necessarily is your friend. Yeah. You know, and that can be a real big problem area. I can remember other girls would get me to read private stuff to them. And then I found out they were laughing about it. Mm. That was real. That was in college. And that was very difficult to deal with. Oh, yeah. No, that would be upsetting. Uh, since you brought it up, I'm going to ask you, but you can tell me it's none of my business and I won't be offended. Uh, but since we're talking about dating, is would you be interested in talking about any experience that you have had in terms well, of dating? I basically, you know, it's not part of my life. Uh, when I was in college, I did a little tiny bit of dating with one guy, but I just saw too much abusive stuff going on. I'm uh, too much drunken uh, angriness. I never saw a marriage I could see myself in. And what I've basically done in my life is I've replaced emotional complexity with intellectual complexity. So when there's a problem, I want to go out and research treatments for COVID because I'd like to not die, for example, um, or go out and reach something else like um, book distribution or some other thing. Because uh, one of the things I really like doing is finding practical ways to solve problems. Yes. Yes. I, the first time I met you, after we were done with the interview, you were asking me questions about, did my husband and I ever get like dating time? Did we ever get to go out alone? And I was like, no, Temple, we don't have anybody to watch our son. And then you started giving me marriage advice. You started saying to me, no, you're going to have to figure this out. You're going to have to, you know, trade with another mom. And, you know, because you have to have time with your husband where you're not talking about your son. And I started to laugh and you said, what are you laughing? And I said, I'm just having this wonderful moment where I'm realizing I'm getting marriage advice from Temple Grandin. And you said, I'm, I'm a problem fixer. I like to solve problems. And I, I've never forgotten that. I'm still happily married, probably thanks to you, Temple. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. Okay. Uh, it's um, one of the things that mother has talked about is having time for the siblings. Okay. I have yes. a sister a year and a half younger. And the other ones were, there was a big enough gap in age that I don't think there was much effect, but the one that was a year and a half younger, I was getting the attention and she wasn't getting enough attention. And that there needs to be time for the other siblings to get and do something they want to do. Are you still close with your siblings, Temple? Oh yeah, yeah, but I've been talking and calling up Katie and Izzy and talking about what's going on in New York right now. They live in Manhattan, New York. Yes. Well, I'm, as I said before, we're having your mom on on Friday and we're taking questions because um, later on today, I'm going to go over questions with her. So if guys, if you guys have questions for her, be writing those in after the show so we don't confuse them with these. Okay. My son has trouble when we used to go out to stores. He gets overwhelmed. How can I help him? He's four years old and he can read. He always wants to play with my hair while we're grocery shopping. How can I help? Well, I think probably the grocery stores got a lot of noise. Now, one of the things with sensory oversensitivity, one thing that helps is giving the kid some control. Okay, let's start off with going to the store, maybe when it's not so busy. But then on the other hand, if he starts to get overwhelmed, maybe he can have a signal. And if he gives that signal, then she'll take him out. In other words, giving him the control. See, this is the same thing as the kid doesn't like the vacuum cleaner. You let the kid turn the vacuum cleaner on. Or the kid doesn't like... Um, buzzer on the scoreboard in the gym and you go down there when nobody's there and you turn the thing on where the kid controls it or you can have your headphone you got it with you but you want to try not to wear it in other words but it's with you again yes. 
that gives you control. And then gradually you'll get to where you can tolerate more and more supermarket. But um, because some of these things can be desensitized. I remember mother saying in one of her talks, she said, well, I got upset about some cannons that went off at the circus, but she took me back there again anyway, because I kind of liked it. You know, it's, I, you don't want to shove them into these things. And one thing she did do, we did not have noisemakers at my birthday party. That was an accommodation. But you take the dreaded thing that makes the noise. And if there's a situation where the kid can control that thing, because what it is, it's an excessive startle response. You know, like I'll be in the airport and somebody opens one of the doors wrong and it makes that horrible noise. I'm, I, I flinch now, but I tolerate it. Uh, but give them, uh, you give them some sense of control and then I'll gradually try to um, do more. And then maybe if he stays in the store a certain length of time, he, he can buy some little thing in there. So there's then a reward for tolerating the grocery store. Okay, this is interesting. Somebody wants to know, do you still believe that at least one of the parents of an autistic kid is autistic or has traits of autism? Oh, autism is a truly, truly continuous trait. And I say uh, autistic traits in parents all the time, all the time. But it's a true continuous trait. You see, a brain can be more thinking or a brain can be more social emotional. What point do you slap a label on it? There's also a link genetically with uh, intelligence and some autistic traits because to be really social eats up a lot of processor space in the brain. So where do you allocate it? But everything I've been reading now about genetics shows truly a continuous trait. You know, when, there is no black and white dividing line between, okay, computer nerd and autism. In fact, the name so, are the same thing in a lot of cases. And then of course you get down where the kid remains nonverbal. Yes, that's definitely, uh, he's definitely got a disability there. So then I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is it that because we, we think of autism as being this spectrum, so do you feel like everybody is, everybody is somewhere on that spectrum? Well, probably not, because you think, I think it's basically sort of a spectrum between them being more of a thinking brain or being more of a social brain. It's just how you allocate the resources in the brain. Um, you've got some people who are super yakety yaks probably don't have any of the traits or barely would have them. Interesting. It's a truly Interesting. continuous trait. I, I, because I, it takes a social stuff, takes a lot of processor power. I've never really thought about it that way before. Yeah. And that's very illuminating. Uh, how can children of any age with autism learn the benefits of having siblings? Well, let's do activities together. We did some good activities. We used to go skating together. Um, we go out on the hill and take turns using the sled. Again, this is uh, teaching turn taking. I talked to one family and every weekend they do an outing. The autistic kid liked um, uh, roller skating, I think it was. Well, the siblings then gonna get choice to maybe do something different on another one of the weekends. You know, so he, if, there's, if there's three kids, then he gets to pick roller skating every third weekend, but we don't go roller skating every weekend. Maybe you don't like uh, 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 skateboarding, but then you're going to just have to sit and watch it, you know, because you've got to take turns or take turns picking out the movies. I've talked about what to do when they're locked up in the house. Well, watch the International Space Station, living on the International Space Station, tight quarters. Yes. The of the bathroom. Not I, that fun. You got me hooked now on there because there's a website, you guys, where you can go 
uh, and it's life on the International Space Station. And, and they have videos that are just for kids, but they're great for everyone. And you got me hooked on it because you were telling, you were describing for me the one where they were making the peanut butter sandwich. Um, but they have all these different videos that you can watch. And then they have lesson plans that go with it too. But I like this idea that you had when we spoke to you last about it, this, this being in close quarters, it's just like being on the space station and that they have to, they have to make parts of their day where they do different things. Like you emphasize that they have to have part of the day where they get to be alone. They have to be alone and they, they have, um, they have a very big exercise requirement, like about two hours a day of exercise. So they don't, you know, uh, it's really bad for their health being weightless all the time. Um, over the years, they've collected some musical instruments and things, you know, they have time to do hobbies, but one thing they have, and I've actually got sent a schedule of the astronaut schedule on the space station. They have what's called the midday meal, the midday meal mm. where everybody is going to eat together and that's scheduled. And I'm, and then they have times they got to work on their experiments. They have time where they can get on the internet. I mean, the space station's going round and round, so it's going to be going in and out of service. And they're going to know just exactly what when those points are in the orbit. That's the time to do a video call real fast. <laughs> just like cell phones go in and out of service on the road, space station's going to go in and out of service as it goes around. Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, somebody says, thank you for being a role model for my daughter. She stopped violin practice today to watch this. She said that she is a lot like you were when you were little. Um, is it ever hard for you, Temple, that you are such a role model, especially to, I mean, to everybody, um, but especially to girls on the spectrum? Do you ever feel like you have a lot to live up to? Well, I feel it's a responsibility. I've had people ask that. I've always got to behave myself. Uh, it's a responsibility mm -hmm. and I've got to take that responsibility really seriously. Absolutely. Uh, they're wanting to know what you're enjoying in your free time uh, right now. Like what's your favorite free time thing to do? Well, I've watched some of the episodes of the new uh, uh, John Luke Picard uh, Star Trek show. Uh, <laughs> now they're just getting involved with the Borg right now. Um, you know, I've always been a, always been a Star Trek fan I um, also love to read my science magazines and business magazines. I was reading those this morning, read a really sad story about the flower industry. You know, mm. since all the weddings are canceled, they've just had to destroy all the flowers. It was the saddest oh. thing. And I read that this morning in Business Week and very I, sad. You, it's, it's so interesting how interconnected so many things are. And when you pull, you know, a rather large thing out, like people going out in public I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about the flower industry and, and those, those poor people who make their living because I'm sure that the, their sales have just gone right through the floor. Well, they had to chop them up and take them to the dump is what they are to the compost pile. Really, really sad. And then other things in supply chain, I meat plants getting infected, warehouses getting infected. Some places do a better job of controlling it than others. And one of the things that's been a very effective method for like places where you have people grouped together on uh, not getting sick is you, if you're sick, they pay you not to come to work. Yes. That will drastically reduce the infection rate of yes. uh, some of these really important things that we have in the supply chain. Yeah. I've been watching as they've been showing that some of these meat packing plants are closing and, um, 
with the one where they said they'd had over 600 people diagnosed uh, positive with COVID. I'm in that uh, industry. I can't mention any names. I'm not going to mention any names, but basically <laughs> I have been watching the figures on meat plants, also on all the supply chain things. I've been like looking up the figures. And what I have found is when you pay people to stay home when they're sick, that will drastically reduce the infection rate. There you go. In these so, super critical things in supply chain. And then things yeah. like the poor flour industry, which was definitely considered not the saddest thing. They had to throw away their entire crop, lay their people off. Really, really sad. Well, and of course, we're seeing that uh, the, the pictures that they were showing of the farmers having to dump all their produce, too, oh, and, and throw it under. Horrible. Because there are, you know, we know that there are going to be some shortages in people who, people who can't, are, are pressed. Well, let me just explain afford. a few things about yeah. that. Horrible. I saw the pictures of milk tankers dumping in a field. I saw that. Um, uh, uh, vegetable crops being plowed under. I've seen all of that. Okay, what happened? Let me just explain some things about supply chains. I am in the food industry. Um, they, where the restaurants shut down, then there's a huge amount of milk that they no longer need. And a lot of that went to restaurants. And the way the supply chains work is you have giant warehouses. Okay, imagine Amazon, but it's food. It's food, all food. Big, huge, gigantic warehouse for food. I've been in it. Yeah. I've been in the biggest one there is that distributes to what they call food service and institutional. In other words, that goes to cafeterias. It goes to restaurants. So that supply chain is set up and I'm, I'm not, I've got a no name policy on this. Sure, absolutely. I, you, you'll see their trucks. They have big trucks that bring the stuff into supermarkets, bring it into restaurants. So when the restaurant business fell, okay, now this supply chain set up to bring truckloads in to the back side of restaurants, of supplies. Now, in order to, um, now the soup kitchens were screaming for food right now at this point. Yes. And so they really, really needed it. So we'd have to figure out some way to, to um, get that big distribution warehouse for the food service. Uh, we need to make, you know, like a pandemic planning now. Now, unfortunately, we've learned this the hard way so that they can then divert that to food kitchens. Now, the yeah. problem you've got with the milk is that's unpasteurized product. You can't just sell that unless you want to get brucellosis and tuberculosis. I don't think you want that. That's no, the reason why you pasteurize milk. And if you want to drink raw milk, you better have a dairy that's very super good biosecurity. So you can't Absolutely. keep those diseases out. But uh, you see then what happened when that supply chain shut down, then the milk processing plant couldn't process the milk. See, yeah. that's the problem that, that happened. And so let's say we have something happen again when restaurants are shut down, then you're going to immediately have to have another supply chain that where that truck, instead of going to the back ends of restaurants, is going to go to the back end of the of the uh, food kitchen. Yeah. But the supply chains weren't set up, and so the system just jammed. It it's uh, the, there was a learning thing there. No, I thought it was horrible. I watched. I, I saw that. Terrible. Just yes, absolutely horrible. I don't know. Here in Los Angeles, um, what they did was because we have a huge school program through LAUSD where a lot of kids get fed through the schools. And when the schools closed, what they did was they took that entire operation and began feeding anyone. 
that if anybody is hungry, there's two times a day where they can go to all these schools all over LAUSD and they can eat, which well, that very- was, you set up those supply chains. Yep. Then the big food service warehouse, gigantic warehouse, then just puts it into that supply chain. Yeah. You see, what happened is the thing cut off. Okay, you can't, the cows are going to still keep milking. Yeah. And then to get, figure out these, see what we need to be doing for emergency planning now is figuring out how to divert that, that supply chain. But it took a while well, for the schools to figure out. We need you in charge of the food chain. That's what we need. Uh, I well, hope some. I see it. You see, I know I, you see it. I've been in all these places. I know how these supply chains work. I've been in these big food distribution warehouses. I've been there. Well, I remember when the the whole thing happened with the nuclear power plant in Japan. And, and I heard an interview with you right afterwards. And you said, you know, if, if an autistic person had designed that nuclear power plant, it would never have been flooded. You said you took one look at it and at, at the plans and that you could tell why the water came in. And that, and I remember thinking, why don't we, we should have somebody who has the way that you think on every single team so that we can see around. Well, that's why you need the different kinds of minds. You see, what I've learned about the mathematical mind, they calculate risk. They didn't see the water filling up the basement and drowning the electric pump that, that cools it. And, and when I was young, I used to say they were stupid. It's not stupidity. The mathematical mind just doesn't see the water filling up the basement. I see the water flooding the site, the doors bust open because they're not going to be able to withstand that water pressure. And two seconds later, the basement's flooded and yeah. the equipment's drowned and the generators that run it are drowned. Yes. Well, that's why you're right. We, that's why we need all the different kinds of minds. Uh, and now is a good, now I'm going to ask you to ta- tell us about your book, The Autistic Brain. Okay. Do you have that one sitting there? No, I actually don't have that one sitting there, but I could probably run and grab it real quick. Well, I do <laughs> no, that. Super no, no. Cool. Okay. Well, let's, we'd rather have you. Okay. Let's just talk about the book because they can okay. get it right now from uh, Future Horizons. Um, but what will they find in that book? Well, actually, uh, last time I looked, the autistic brain was available in the Amazon warehouse. I just checked okay. that. But um, so you can get it there, I think, too. Um, ebooks, all your ebooks, they're all at Amazon. Audiobooks, that's no, there's no problem with ebook and audiobook supply chain. It's only physical books. But what I, the main thing I talk about in the autistic brain is the different kinds of thinking. I'm a visual thinker. That was shown in the HBO movie, what's called an object visualizer. If you want the sign term, there you go, object visualizer. And, uh, and then another kind of thinker is what's called the visual spatial. This is your mathematical mind. This is your pattern thinker. This is gonna be a computer programmer. You're a more traditional kind of engineer. Then you have the word thinkers. Now, when I was young, I thought everybody was a visual thinker like me. Mm-hmm. Well, I've learned that that's definitely not the case. Now, the things that visual thinkers are good at are art, um, design, but also high-end skilled traits. When I look back at the projects I did with some of the very large meat companies, I'm gonna estimate that 20%, the welders, the uh, designers I worked with were either dyslexic, autistic, or ADHD. I know two people that I'm almost positive are autistic own large metal fabrication companies. Now they're retiring. They're not getting replaced. We're losing skills. We don't mm-hmm. make elevators anymore. Mm-hmm. Check out the new hotels. Well, now hotels are getting repurposed. Uh, 
you know, to quarantine people in. Uh, yeah. But there's a, when you look at who designs different stuff in a large food factory, any food factory, you have a part of it that I'll call the clever engineering department. That's the super clever mach packaging machine, all the conveyorized systems. And then you have the more mathematical parts like boilers and refrigeration. Every plant I worked on, I worked for every major meat company, the visual thinkers like me that often weren't very good students at school made the real clever equipment. Mm -hmm. And that's a skill we're losing. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about warehouses. There's a lot of conveyors and stuff in warehouses and it comes from Germany because they've kept skilled trades. Some of our top, um, what I call the, the really specialized equipment in the food industry is coming out of Europe now. It used to all come out of here. And I think it goes back to schools taking out the skilled trades and the hands-on activities 20 years ago. We're paying for that now. And this wow. is something that until COVID got on the scene, I really talked about this because we need our visual thinkers. And I just talked to a mom of a kid, her boy had Fs horrible student, but she was a robotics coach and she, he could never pass to Ellsberg, but she managed to get him into an auto repair shop and learn he's fixing trains now. Yeah. Okay. That's another back door, but we need these visual thinkers and they're getting screened out of the, out of the educational system. I am very concerned. And in the, my book, the autistic brain, I uh, give you the science for that. And since that book's been published, there's a whole lot more science on the difference between the object visualizer, if you wanna look this up on Google Scholar, and the visual spatial. Those are the scientific words when I talk about the visual thinker and the math thinker. So that's the main thing in that book. And um, we need our visual thinkers because things like this horrible thing, like dumping the milk. Well, this is the sort of thing um, a visual thinkers can help you solve that because I actually see the supply chain. Yeah. Okay, the milk processing plant uh, tanks are full, so they turn away to deliveries. Then they have to dump them. Okay, so you've got to you see the you've got to get the whole supply chain working. Then the schools. It took the schools a while to figure out they could be feeding centers. Now yeah. we know that. Now we can take those same trucks and instead of delivering to restaurants, they can deliver to schools. Yeah, we can just diverse exactly. that supply chain, but. But the problem is, is a very high volume supply chain. And if you don't make the plans up front. Yeah. No, next we need to, we need to be solving this problem. Hey, have you ever been to, my, my son does competitive robotics. Have you ever been to one of those robotics tournaments I've where the robots? On, I've seen them on TV. And Oh, and, sometime I got to get you to come with me to one of them. He was supposed to, his robot had, uh, his team's robot had won and they were supposed to go to the, um, the championship in Houston, but you know, that was supposed to happen last week and it all got canceled, but sometime I'm going to tell you what, where they are so that you can go to one with us. It's so much fun. Well, um, but temple robotics is the kind of things that can get that kid. See, when you look at the robotics, there's two parts of the robot. There's the mechanical engineering part. That's the visual thinking part. Exactly. The programming, which is the more exactly. mathematical part. I'd work on the, on the mechanical part of the robot. Exactly, which is what my son does. Temple, I'm realizing we're past the hour mark. Now we are going to continue on with the show, and you're welcome to stay with us if you want to stay. There are more questions. I can stay I for do want another to... ten minutes, and then I'm going to okay. have to go. Okay, great. So another question here: My son does not speak and was diagnosed with autism when he was uh, 1.8 years. He's now 5.5 years. What can we do to make him speak? We feel that he understands, takes what uh, takes us to what he wants, points finger 
murmurs some voices, kind words, but doesn't speak. What can be done? Please doesn't advise. speak at all. At all. Okay. Uh, well, there's kids that can't speak. That let's. He's got to have a, have a way to communication. You know. Uh, you know. There's the various electronic devices, picture boards, picture exchange. Uh, some people are using sign language, but we got to give them a way to communicate. And then if a kid has any speech at all, you always want to encourage them to use his words. Let's say he wants to juice. You say, use your words, but you got to give them time to respond. These kids are like a slow internet connection. They take time to respond. Uh, and then there's some that are not going to talk. Some of these kids can just learn to type with something as simple as a text messaging program on an iPad. I think the phones are too small uh, for kids, but you could just use a tablet computer with a text messaging and put it in airplane mode so they can't send anything. And and, and some can just learn to type on that. Absolutely. And, and that's what Carly, there's another book written by a nonverbal named Carly's Voice. It's another book, Carly's Voice. Carly and, Fleischman, uh, yes. Carly Fleischman. And yeah. she just learned, she types very slowly, but she types independently. That a text messaging program, that's something that costs nothing. But I would recommend a larger device than a phone. Yeah, Carly, for those of you who don't know, Carly, when she was very young, no, they didn't think she even understood the alphabet. She didn't understand the concept of one as far as they were concerned. And when she was 13 years old, she took a computer from one of her caregivers. And this is like having never communicated in any way. She typed out, my teeth hurt, please help me. So she clearly had been understanding some things and just didn't have a way to communicate. And then of course they gave her a, a keyboard and, and she's brilliant, brilliant. She's the one who interviewed Channing Tatum a while back. That, you guys that's the thing that, that um, you know, some of these kids can learn how to type and, and uh, you, same thing with Tito. Now he types very fast and then he gets up and he runs around and flaps and then he has to rest a little bit because it takes tremendous, both Carly and Tito talk about tremendous effort is required to concentrate, to get, do their typing. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about friendship. We have a lot of people writing in about friendships and relationships. Somebody says, I have a 17 year old that doesn't have friends outside of school or sports. Not sure what to do uh, is uh, what, what advice do you have? And other people asking if you would tell a little bit about what friendships have been like for you and have meant for you in your lifetime. Well, when I was in high school, I got a lot of uh, bullying and teasing where I had friends, was friends who shared interests. And they were horses, model rockets, and electronics. And it, to get friends outside of school, let's get involved in something where there's a shared interest. One innovative teacher started a Star Wars club in her school. And for the autistic kid, friends who shared interests, find stuff that you like to do together with other people. You know, a lot of my friends, I'm, you know, they're in the autism field, they're in animal behavior. They were construction people. We used to love to just sit around and talk about how to build stuff. We also like to talk about how stupid the suits were too. So similar number. interests. Yeah, similar, similar interests. Wonderful. Uh, I think we talked about this last time that there was a great study years ago that came out of Santa Barbara talking about bullying and that it, uh, that when you have friends, you're more bully-proof and that um, one thing that a parent can do is, is facilitate a club at your child's school that's something that they're interested in. So if they're interested in a particular video game, that make a club about that. 
and yeah. or if they're you know and that then they that then they make friends yeah. i also I, I don't know if you know the peers program temple there's a great program out of ucla that's called the peers program and it's um it's simultaneous tracks where the parents are taking a track on how to support their kid being friends and social to, so that it helps them to realize when they're making a mistake and then the kids are taking a track at the same time and it's it's really brilliant. I absolutely love it. And they're offering right now to do that online uh, with you and with your kiddos. So that's at UCLA. So check that out. Um, they, Temple, can you tell me about equine therapy and autism? This is Carrie asking. Well, there's some individuals that really respond well to equine therapy. And I find that how do autistic kids respond to animals? There's three different ways. Love them. Little scared at first, then love them. And then maybe not appropriate. And that's usually sensory. You can't control when a horse might whinny, for example, where I can control maybe when a vacuum cleaner is uh, turned on. Um, but there's parents that have said, my kid did the first words on a horse. Now, I realize that's just anecdotal data, but I've probably heard that seven or eight or nine times now. And one of the things we need to figure out is what subgroup responds that way. And the horse, you have balancing and you have rhythm. And those are two activities that stimulate the cerebellum, which uh, is involved with timing stuff throughout the brain. There's a lot still not understood about the cerebellum. Uh, and that may have something to do with it. But uh, for some kids, it's just the best thing you can do. But again, one size doesn't fit everybody. And right now they're building a new equine center. They did break ground on it recently. Um, one of the things I'd like to find out is what kind of a subgroup responds that super well where you're getting that space. I've heard that anecdotally enough times you can't just poo-poo that off. Something's yeah. happening there and we need to find out what kind of kid that works with. Well, there's something about animals. I know you're a big animal yeah. lover. That's been the, the large portion of your life has been devoted towards animals. But there, I feel like it's similar to how I feel about the autism community. Animals don't lie. No. They're just exactly who they are and 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 they tell the truth 100% of the time, which is what I feel about individuals that I've met on the autism spectrum. Well, and I, and, and I, like I've talked to one mom of an autistic kid. She says, well, my autistic son, he was uh, nonverbal. Um, she says, he's best buds with a dog. I don't know. They're just like on the same wavelength. You mm -hmm. see, that has nothing to do with speech. Well, you see, an animal's world is not verbal. And when you look at some of the research now, people are still fighting over animal consciousness. I've been following some of that literature. And I read a paper that an engineer wrote, they don't deny animals consciousness. But then you write something from the psych department, well, highly verbal, I start looking at author affiliations. And I am finding that papers written in highly verbal fields don't have a hard time believing that animals are conscious the same way we are. And I think it has to do with verbal. This is actually yeah. being debated right now. I know. Yeah, I uh, just downloaded a paper just the other night that an engineer had written, and he says, oh, dogs are conscious. But I think it gets down to how big of a pedestal you put verbal thinking on. And yeah. I've discussed this as a visual thinker, I'm, but I don't think you have to be a verbal thinker to be conscious. And to me, I'm uh, just looking uh, um, at some dogs yesterday to say that these red dog is not conscious. It's just ridiculous. And I think it gets down to how verbal the person is, because this is being seriously discussed right now in scientific literature. 
I know. And I, and it baffles me. I don't understand how an intelligent person can, who has been around dogs or horses or cattle can like think that they don't think or, or well, that they don't. See, this is where I'm a total visual thinker, but you're taking somebody who's super, super verbal. And I've talked to some where they don't have any visual thought at all. Maybe they have a hard time imagining a dog is conscious because a dog lives in a sensory based world, not a verbal world. Yeah, but it's it, seriously discussed now. I know, I know. I don't get it. I don't in get it at all. Scientific journals. I know. I don't understand it. Um, okay. Um, the, everybody's saying just how cool it is to have you here on the show. And they say, I love the good doctor. Um, one person is writing, wants you to know that it, it's going to be 15 years in September that they were diagnosed with Asperger's at the age of 24. Um, and, um, they, oh, they want to know, have you seen the show, The Good Doctor? Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. Yes. I and what, do you like it? Well, I think in some things he could maybe learn a little more quickly. I mean, I learned, I couldn't call people stupid at a project meeting after I got some counseling from a plant engineer and some other people. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, I mentioned that on Thursday, we're having Kobe Bird on the show. He's that 17-year-old actor. He was on The Good Doctor, um, and he's now on a show called, on Netflix, it's a hit show called Lock and Key. Temple, have you seen that show yet? I have not seen that show. I got to tell you, I think, because we like a lot of the same things. I like Picard. I like Star Trek. I got to tell you, I think that you will like this. Um, it's, a, it's a very fun show. It's called Lock and Key. I'm going to I'm gonna have to look that up. And uh, Kobe plays the character of Rufus on it. And it's based on graphic novels that were written by the son of Stephen King. Did you ever like any of the Stephen King oh, stuff? Oh, I've read a lot of Stephen King stuff. Yeah. Now, sometimes that's too much for me, but this is written by his son and um, has a huge following, but I think that you will super enjoy it. I, and I'd love to hear your opinion of that later on. Well, I'll have um, to show up. And, okay, you have another question there quick. Okay, what are your thoughts on authentic, and this goes right along with it, authentic representation in entertainment? So when you see someone on uh, in, a, in a show, let's say on Picard and they're playing somebody who's deaf, do you feel like that that should be first considered someone who is actually deaf playing that role? And when you see characters on, on screen playing autism, like for instance, Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, he played a character um, and he was an acting, he was playing somebody who was on the spectrum. When Claire Danes played you, she was, she was not an autistic actor. How do you feel about um, people who are on the spectrum playing people who are on the spectrum? Well, I like to see people on the spectrum play in shows, but I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm more in the middle of the road on a lot of these issues. And uh, uh, Claire Danes, I thought she did a great job. She like channeled me, she became yeah. me. And, and I, I actually counseled uh, Dustin Hoffman. He looked at Joe Sullivan to see what autism looks like. And I talked to him about the sensory issues and the anxiety issues. And I remember I said, Dustin, imagine how anxious you were when you went to your first big audition. Now just imagine if you had those kind of nerves all the time for no reason. This was stuff that I told him. And yes, I'd like to see people that have a specific um, uh, diagnosis or whatever, you know, be in these shows. But on the other hand, I'm not going to say never yeah. do a Claire Danes or a Dustin Hoffman. I, I'm going to be more middle of the road. 
Well, I'm with you right there because I want to see those individuals get the first opportunity. I want to see them have the opportunity for the employment and all of that and authentic representation. But I also want to leave room for someone who's on the spectrum to be able to play someone who's not on the spectrum. And I think once we say, oh, if you were, if it's the characters on the spectrum, it has to be played by somebody on the spectrum, then we're also going to be saying that you know, people who a character is not on the spectrum cannot be played by someone on the spectrum. And I never want to see that. Well, I, well the other problem you got with the movie industry is they want to put a star in the leading role. Yeah, I mean, well, that's something they're going to want to do. So it's going to yes. be a lot easier to bring them into in a supporting role. Yes, uh, the movie absolutely. industry wants to put a star in the leading roles. Now, there's some situations where they put a non-star in, um, but. Uh, no, I'm going to be more flexible. I, I sort of like the same thing we talk about, in, you know, being in a regular classroom or a special school. I want to see kids as much as possible in a regular classroom. I will tell you something I don't want to see. I don't want to see a 12-year-old fully verbal that ought to be maybe in a gifted program in a class with people that uh, don't talk and have problems dressing. Yeah, that That's yeah. not okay because that kid's not going to go anywhere. But I I want to get do inclusion just as much as we practically can do it. Yes. But then I don't want something. See, I visualize things I don't want. He's sitting in the back of the regular classroom, just uh, uh, doing stems and not learning right. anything. That's not right. But you see, I see specific examples of scenarios that I would consider not acceptable. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, Temple, I've kept you way longer than I said that I was going to keep you. And I know that you've got other things to do today, but can I just tell you how much we appreciate you and how much we adore you and how, uh, how much we uh, really, how meaningful it is to get to spend this time with you. It's just so well, it's wonderful. Really uh, good to be here. And uh, thank you so much. All right. And let's go to a robotics tournament. Let's go back to Houston to a robotics tournament oh, I think that and, we'll, and we'll see NASA again. I'd like to do that. Okay, great. All right. I think I'm going to the meeting now. Okay, goodbye. Thank you. Bye, Bye. Temple. Bye. Uh, I'm going to stay here with you guys. Bye-bye, okay. Temple. All right. Bye-bye. Um, I'm going to stay here with you guys. And isn't she incredible? You guys can still be writing in questions for her mom. I got to go over a couple of things with you guys. And then we want to give a shout out to a really good friend of ours who um, had something really remarkable happen in the last couple of days. Um, but I want to start by talking about the fact that tomorrow, tomorrow on the show, we have Dr. Doreen Grampichet, and she will be answering your questions live. And so you can, you can be writing those questions in during that show or during now, whatever you'd like to do. Um, but uh, then on Thursday, on Thursday, we're going to have Kobe Bird here. And he's the young actor that I've been telling you guys about. We first had Kobe on the show Autism Live when he was an actor and uh, he was doing a project with the Miracle Project. And uh, he came on and I remember just being so, uh, just, I fell in love with him. And I hadn't met his wonderful mother yet, um, but I just thought that he was the cat's pajamas. You know what I'm saying? And he was funny and he was fabulous. And um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to look up something at the same time. But uh, then Kobe, we had him back on the show because he did, a, he did something um, called, I think it's called Broadway Dreams. And he was one of a very few number of actors across the country who were chosen to go to New York to be in a showcase in New York. And so we came back on the show to talk about that. And by that point, I, you know, I'd become friends with his mom and he had become friends with my son and he's such a good friend. 
And um, then, you know, we, we, it was like, look, look at Kobe. He's, he's already going to be doing something in New York City. And then it was like, we snapped our fingers. I know it wasn't like this for him at all. It was a lot of hard work, but he had uh, a role on Speechless. Then he was given a, a bigger role on The Good Doctor. And now he is this wonderful Rufus on Lock and Key. If you guys haven't seen Lock and Key, you need to go and watch it because there will be spoiler alerts. And we, I don't want to be spoiling it for anybody. So go and watch you some Lock and Key. Now, if you watch the show compulsively, uh, you know that we did this series on card heroes and we were talking to one of our card heroes and we were asking, what do you do to de-stress? And she said, you know, I, I watch Netflix. And I said, okay, I'm just curious. What are you watching on Netflix? She goes, oh, it's a show, Lock and Key. It's so good. And I, my head exploded and I was like, no, isn't it the best thing? And did you know the Kobe bird? And, you know, he's been on Autism Live before. We love him. And that was why I was like, oh, we got to have Kobe on to talk about this. So we're going to talk about all of that and ever so much more with Kobe on Thursday. And then on Friday, it's Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, and we're having Eustacia Cutler. So that is Temple Brandon's mom, and you can be asking questions of her, but I got to have the questions today because a little bit later on this afternoon, I'm going to be going over the questions with her. And we're only, only going to pick a handful of questions because we're working on something bigger for you. Yes, I said it. We're working on something bigger because she would like to answer all the questions you guys have. It's just that we can't do that in, in a very short period of time. So uh, all those things, but we want to give a big shout out this morning to the fabulous Christina Adams. She has been a semi-regular on the show. In fact, we feature a segment with her that is called Autism and Beyond. And Christina came into my life first because I read her book. Her, uh, her first book was called A Real Boy, and it was a real game changer for me. It um, spurred me to do a lot of what we did with our son. And I, I, I carried that book with me everywhere. Uh, I had to go buy several more copies of it because first I wanted to keep the war-torn copy that was given to me, by the way, by Logan Shepard's mother. Let's give a shout out to Logan as well. And if you haven't watched his newest video, you should go watch Logan Shepherds. But but my, Logan's mom gave me her copy of A Real Boy and it became my everything, right? I never went anywhere without it. And I had to buy several more copies because I kept giving them, every time I would meet an autism mom, I, that would be my gift to her, right? Because that's what Crystal did for me. Well, then we started having Chris, uh, Christina on the show and having her talk in one of the subjects that she's talked about a lot over the last few years is camel milk. She got very involved in camel milk for her son on the autism spectrum. And we kept saying, when are you going to write the book? When are you going to write the book? Finally, she wrote Camel Crazy, A Quest for Miracles in the Mysterious World of Camels. And that is out right now. It is an amazing book that you need to buy on Amazon or wherever you get your books. And um, recently, this uh, her book won uh, an incredible award. It won the Nautilus Book Award. And so we just want to give a big shout out to her for that. Um, it is tearing it up in, uh, you know, across the world because it's very popular in many different places. So uh, the Nautilus Book Awards involve highly esteemed authors and publishers from across the USA, from over 20 nations around the world. This year's achievement is more notable due to the record number of entries and diversity of high quality books. The organization states that it's truly encouraged by the uh, new perspectives these books present 
with which to co-create a better future individually and collectively. Um, and so it is one of the winners of a Nautilus Award book. Um, so congratulations, Christina Adams. And we just want to do a big shout out, Camel Crazy. Um, and the subtitle of the book is A Quest for Miracles in the Mysterious World of Camels. Uh, and congratulations to Christina. There is the book right there. I've always loved camels. I don't know what that's about, but from the early age, I just thought camels were really awesome. I know they spit, but how can you not love the face of this camel? How could you not? Uh, so definitely check out this book. It's a great read and we love Christina. And um, honestly, it's, it's a really cool thing. Okay. I'm checking time because we are, we're like close to out of time. Uh, Trayvon, what do you think? We were going to do the jargon at the, at the end of the show. Do we have, we've got five minutes. Uh, should we go ahead and go for the jargon of the day? Cause this is what we usually do at the start of the show, but we didn't want to have you have to wait through jargon and temple needed to go early. So, uh, okay, let's go for it. So, uh, <laughs> do something jargon of the day where we take on one one phrase one acronym uh and we try to take on what it means we give you the actual definition then we give you a working definite definition after we make fun of the actual definition so are you going to put it up on the screen for us here Traven? uh so our our term for today is functional pretend play and um, I don't know, like the first time I heard that, I was like functional pretend play. It sounds like you're trying to make, take play and make it boring, right? <laughs> um, but, and you might see that, that there is uh, the potential for that, right? But let's take a look at what our actual definition for functional pretend play is. Do you remember when we used to have toy stores? Because I'm going to talk about toy stores here in a section. Sex, second, I can't even talk anymore. I'm so excited. Functional pretend play. It's using lifelike objects in a purely functional, socially conventional way to imitate or act out common action sequences, right? Yawn. How can we make play as boring as possible, right? But let's go on to our working definition here to see if we can get a better hold on this. So functional pretend play is playing with toys that are lifelike in a lifelike way. So remember when we used to have toy stories? To I can't talk anymore, you guys. Toy stores. And there were just aisles and aisles and aisles, and each aisle had a theme, right? There was the doll aisle, and then there was the Lego aisle, right? But there was that one aisle that I never found particularly fascinating, but it always kind of made me go, what's that aisle about? Where they would have the toy vacuum cleaners. And I remember going, why would anyone want to get a child a toy vacuum cleaner? It's like vacuuming is my least favorite thing in life. Why would I want to get a child a toy to play vacuum? It was because I wasn't in the know. I wasn't in the know that part of what, and we want to do this with all children, but especially our kiddos on the autism spectrum who need a little bit more help sometimes connecting one thing with another thing, right? And play is supposed to be the place that we can all fail and have it cost nothing, right? So we want kiddos to be thinking um, about what they're doing and what other people are doing, right? We want them to be able to perspective take. We want them to take on other roles. And the beginning of that is when we do functional pretend play. So when you get a kiddo, a fake cash register, right? That looks like a cash register, but it's all plastic and it you push the buttons and it goes ding, right? But it's not a big, expensive, heavy cash register, right? 
we now have a place for them to play and to fail and have it cost nothing. So um, we do want to have kids um, learn through example. So, you know, dad is vacuuming. We want for, you know, the, the child to have a play vacuum cleaner and to be able to vacuum right along next to dad. We, you know, we get all the, I love now the Melissa and Doug, they have all these food boxes that, you know, um, there used to be those like horrible plastic food things, but I love the Melissa and Doug stuff because it has food and it comes with a, a plastic, well, it's a wooden play knife and you can slice open the orange and then you can Velcro it back together and slice it open again. These are all great skills that we want our children to be working on. And we want for them to want to be able to imitate things that other people are doing. There is no better toy for our young developing children than something from that functional pretend play aisle, because we're going to take all the things that we do, like eating lunch, you know, and we, we, you know, have the plastic or the wooden bread with the wooden, I love, we also, we featured some in our toy guide that are a really good fabric, corduroy fabric. Um, but, you know, and then you pretend to, I'm, I'm, I'm eating and that begins to teach a different kind of rule oriented play for our children, helps with flexibility in their brain. So functional pretend play toys. We don't have that aisle in the store anymore, but you can still find them online. They're great, great toys and help with a whole lot of things. All right. We are just about to be out of time, but again, wasn't this a great show? I must say, I just so love getting to chat with Temple and I love for you guys to get to see her live. Is there anything better than that? Um, don't forget tomorrow, ask Dr. Doreen with Dr. Doreen Grampichet, get your questions answered. Thursday, Kobe Bird, wonderful, brilliant actor. And I'll tell you, you haven't even seen him sing. That boy is some talented sing, I tell you. Uh, so he's going to be with us from Lock and Key on Thursday. And then on Friday, you Stacia Cutler. And she is Temple Grandin's mom. And she's going to be answering a few of your questions. Uh, but she's going to be talking about the four things that we all need to know, um, that we all need to be teaching uh, the people that we love on the autism spectrum and helping to support them with. She's also going to talk about the origins of the social aspect of autism. You're not going to want to miss it. And she's going to answer some questions and we're going to tell you about how she wants to answer more of your questions. But, but write in questions for me right now because those are the questions that we're going to pick from for Friday. And let me just say that next week is equally off the chain just off the chain, y'all. Uh, so we're going to finish April strong. Uh, and then we will continue on in May because uh, it, autism is not just one month out of the year, right? All right. I appreciate you all for being here with me and, and the excitement of all of this. And we will be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.